We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com the baseball season is go, go, go. It's nonstop, relentless for every night, six straight months, and then hopefully another month in October. You also have work, friends, family, and a million other things going on. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. I mean, the mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when your beer is cold. Is there anything better than opening up your refrigerator after a long day Seeing that icy cold Coors Light can or bottle in your fridge, the answer is no, there's nothing better. That's why when it's time to chill, you choose Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So that's why when you want to hit reset, reach for a beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate. We are breaking down all aspects of Yankee baseball. This is the Bronx Pinstripe Show with your hosts, Andrew Rotondi and Scott Reinen. Let's go. What's up, you savages? This is episode 351 of the Bronx Pinstripe Show. A little bit of a different intro there because obviously the big moment of the last few games since we last recorded was Aaron Boone's tirade against the umpire. Scott, good morning. You're struggling. You fought the Sun, and the Sun won. Sun is undefeated. I, I don't know if you knew that, but you tried to fight it on Saturday at the BP Crew event by being a hero and sitting in the Sun longer than any human should have sat in the Sun that day. 
How are you feeling this morning? Oh, oh no, there, there were plenty of people sitting in the sun because it actually wasn't that bad. Mm-mm-mm. But I didn't even get sunburned. I barely even got a tan. That's 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 how and I and I and I tan and I and I get burned. So you know there were some people being a little soft. There was there was a little bit of that, but it was hot. There's no doubt about it. You had to prepare. I did walk in with ten bottles of water. I felt like I had to get like I felt a responsibility to throw water at people if I saw them struggling. So I brought quite a few and we're handing them out. So we uh, we we all survived. It was good. It was uh, it could have been a brutal day. So if you say it wasn't that hot, then how'd you catch a fever? That's just from running my de- my ass into the ground. <laughs> That's what that is. That's just gotcha. a weekend of running my ass into the ground. It so. was it was quite a weekend. It was a lot of fun since the, since we last recorded. Man, has a lot happened with the doubleheaders. We recorded Thursday morning. Yankees were about to play a doubleheader that we said, "Hey, if this team can just sweep, you keep the Rays at bay, and you and you 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 bide your time with with checking off games on the schedule that the Rays cannot catch you anymore." And they go out there and sweep. And we're going to break down, obviously, the games and the moments. But it really was, I think, if this season ends the way it should, the way we all expect it to, we're going to look at that date, that doubleheader against Tampa, as a real big moment in this season. I mean, there's no doubt. After you drop the first game of the series, you're looking at it, and you just kind of want to get out with a split right now because then Tampa's... You know, there's no no ground gained at all. And I think, what, there's only two games left with them for the rest of mm-hmm. the year. So they're in a very tough position, and you're almost like checking off the boxes with, with teams that are, you know, have the ability to catch you at some point. And, and again, I, I don't like to go as far as saying things are, you know, uh, as locked up as a lot of other people will, but it, they're in a good position, the bottom line. Nine the up fact, on Tampa with only two head-to-head matchups to play. That's, that's it. Be very tough for Tampa. The fact that you take three of, uh, three of four – you know, that changes the, the, the scape and, and, and it really just puts them in such a good position. And the momentum from sweeping the, the doubleheaders, which they've done this year at a yep. high pace. I mean, John Sterling just can't even say that anymore. They They're difficult. Are, I put some stats in here. Seven and one in doubleheaders this year. They swept Baltimore, Kansas City, and then just swept Tampa. And the only team they split, split with so far was the Mets. There you go. So uh, apparently it is easy that to sweep doubleheaders. That was a different story last year. How many doubleheaders did they have against crappy teams like Baltimore? where they would just split, and the excuse would be, well, it's a doubleheader. Right, and, but, but the thing is, is when you go into a doubleheader, a split, you're like, okay, you know, uh, you don't expect a sweep when you're playing Tampa when they're the closest to your, uh, to, to your, your team in the division, especially with they, they have a lot to play for at that point, and all the games have been so close. So it was a really good series for them, and they showed their dominance, man. They flexed. It was good. They, they really did kind of – that is the thing. After having Tampa steal a game on Monday, like you said, they pretty much bitch-slapped him for, for three straight games, uh, dominated yeah. him in the doubleheader. And I think that Boone's tirade is something that, that set them off. And all of the players after the game talked about how they were extremely fired up. Like, it's very clear. Yeah. You can they, tell. They love seeing their guy go out there, defend them, say whatever the hell is on his mind, yep. and, and just be that, uh, that voice. Because there was obvious frustration in the clubhouse, in the dugout, f- with these umpires. And it's been, oh, you know it's been building and building and building. Brett Gardner almost tore down the roof of the dugout. Yeah, I mean, and, and that, was, that was mild compared to what he probably wanted to do because you could see the look on his face, man. He was just, he was, his head was even bigger than it normally is. And he's, uh, you know, he, I think Boone realizes that, and that's, that's back to the point 
of the type of manager that he is and and the reason he's here. He's here to uh, to, to relate better to these guys, to have that internal pulse a little bit more than than a guy like Girardi did. And you know, all signs are pointing to uh, to Brune really, really capturing this team. So mm-hmm. yeah, and I don't think you can just point to ejections as the reason why because Girardi. But he's getting really good at them too. Girardi was very good at ejections, I thought. Yeah, I mean Boone, Boone has ramped it up. Yeah, well, in a last very year, short amount of time. Last year, this is by far his best one. It's not even close. Oh no! Uh, yeah. Last year, when he crouched behind home plate to sort right. of mimic like where the pitch was going, that was a great one. That was a good one. Um, that was very original. Anytime you can, uh, when you can mimic things on the field or do something to the field, like when Girardi covered the plate in dirt, right. that, that was great. Um, but yeah, this one he just eviscerated two fingers, two fingers in your face. <laughs> eviscerated a rookie umpire yeah. who was managing his who was umping his fifth game behind home plate. Was completely overmatched. Called a ball at Judge's ankles a strike. Called a ball way outside to Brett Gardner. Those are two guys with maybe the best eyes on the team. Right. They're going to go back into the dugout and say this guy doesn't know where what the hell he's calling. And it's it, it's even more obvious when the viewers at home are looking at the, the box on screen. I, I said this uh, to Dan Zimborski when I was talking to him. The worst thing to ever happen to a major league umpire is the box on screen. It's true because now everybody knows what it is and what it isn't. Because we There's no question about it. Basically, sitting at home, we have a virtual strike zone, except right. the strike zone is not virtual. It's not a robot. There's still a human behind there making errors. And... I read an article, but uh, it was like a BU study that came out a few week, uh, came out earlier in the season. But I was reading it and tweeting about it a few weeks ago. So like thirty four thousand pitches were missed in uh, two thousand eighteen. Yeah. That's about a fifteen percent error rate. That's a lot of pitches, especially when you when you add it up for the entire season and you hear a number like that. It just it, it escalates it in your head. It makes it sound so much. Makes it sound terrible, and it's not all, all the calls. All of those calls are not as bad as the ones we saw Thursday. In in our minds, they are. When you hear a, when you hear that number, they're all egregious. But but what that I mean, I'm sure the majority of those are <laughs> barely off the plate. Yeah. Uh, but if you're telling me that, I mean, that's not that's not just calling balls outside strikes or calling strikes balls. I mean, that is both. It's not one or the other. It's both. So if we have a robot zone and you clean all of those up, I think what you also see is batters adjust. And batters are going to be swinging more. Well, that's a good thing. What that does is it's also a very good thing. It increases the pace of the game too. The the games will actually be I I'd say that would make a significant dent in the time of the game actually. If the you more know, I'm the more I'm you, thinking about it, yes. Yeah, because yeah. you know if the, if it's going to be in the zone, then you got to swing or else uh, you know, it's going to be called. So that, that, those types of things to, to increase the play, to like make, make the ball go and play faster, is a good thing. But we might not have a complete meltdown and a complete savages moment. Because if there's a robot umpire, what are you going to do? You can't get mad. It's a robot. It's Although, almost like you know trying they, to get mad at the people in New York. Like They can't. They right. can't get, it they, is what they it try. is. The camera you, said this. The camera doesn't lie. So yeah. the, you know how the Atlantic League was testing this? First right. game that they implemented the robot zone, the first manager got thrown out in the first inning for arguing balls and strikes. <laughs> okay. I, he obviously did it just on principle, but but they, so they were doing it. Yeah, he was like, I need to make sure that this gets yeah. this guy yeah. out there. But they had an umpire, right? There was an umpire behind home plate to mm. to kind of manage yeah. the game and make sure things were going on. Obviously, the, I mean, as it but evolves. the strikes were called. Yeah, 
But that's, I mean, I think when people in their heads think of what that would look like, I still think that there would be a human umpire. I, I, like, I can't believe I'm saying this human in, in like Android. There will be a person behind the plate, whether he's calling balls or strikes uh, is one thing. Or if he calls a ball or a strike, maybe it's like in tennis where the chair umpire, you hear a ding and like the, like you're wrong. And, uh, and, and then they just change the call. That guy would get ridiculed. Like how many times in an inning? I was. I, he would get. He would get destroyed by the fans. So and te- oh, wrong like again. You said ding. Right, like you said <laughs> in tennis, it's just be a ding counter every time he's wrong. Like you said uh, with tennis. I mean, there was a challenge. I was watching the women's Wimbledon final, and there was a challenge, and they had that thing in two seconds. I'm not exaggerating. Two seconds. We no, knew I know. what. what I mean, the they're not was. all like that, but they're they're pretty damn close. Yeah. But they have. What I'm saying is that we have technology to yes. to make it so they can identify a ball or a strike in two seconds. Oh, oh, absolutely. They can absolutely see it. It's all, it's all there. All the technology completely exists. So it's a matter of them implementing it. And, uh, and you know, I think we'll see. It. We'll, this is one of those things that's starting in, in, in the end independent leagues uh, that I do believe we will start seeing climb up in the minor leagues. I don't think we're going to see stealing first base. No. Guy on second and extra innings, all the wonky that shit. Ain't catching we're not on. seeing that. The robot strike zone, I think, is going to have some legs and will be... Uh, will be actually tested in the near future with, with baseball more familiar to everybody else. The wrinkle in all of this, and I haven't really heard it talked about, is I know the umpires have a union. Yes. And they make a lot of money for what... They, they make a decent amount of money. So they're, they don't want this. That's right. jobs lost. That's future salary lost. I know you said there's still going to be umpires on the field, but yeah. if they're not as important and you don't have to rely on them nearly as much... Guess what? There's going to be fewer of them, and they're going to be getting paid less. You know, maybe some of these guys were old guys, man, and it's hot out there, and they're wearing all this gear, and they're doing all these things. Like, maybe they just need to relax a little bit. This uh, Brendan was, I mean, he was getting. What was his name Brendan Miller? He was getting yelled at by DJ LeMayhew. I mean, that's, that's when you know you're bad at that point. Like, LeMayhew's talking about the, the balls and strikes, saying that they're, they're terrible, and that it was, a, you know, some of these calls were just bad. You, when that's happening, when a guy like DJ LeMayhew is getting up there, the boiling point is so close to the top. That's like one of those indicators. Like if you're looking for like market indicators of like a bottom or a top, like that's that's the like the bottom the bottom of a and it's going to explode up. Like you're looking at a short squeeze right there, popping through the roof. They're about to start screaming at people if DJ LeMayhew is getting mad and right. vocally mad. He doesn't want to open his mouth because that that affects his dip. He just wants to get a nice head buzz going, wants to make a few diving plays in the infield, and go three for four. That's all he wants to do. He doesn't want to talk to anybody. He doesn't want any attention. He barely wants it. He's hiding behind his glasses, and he's just going to go out there and do his job. So, yeah, he's talking to umpires and barking back at them. Something's wrong. Something's going on in that point, and, and there's, a, there's a change that needs to be made. And the fact that Boone went out there, and he did it quickly. He, he got tossed because he was, he was, he was Malvin. He, you know, they got the... Uh, the uh, the umpire gave him the warnings and all this crap, but he knew he knew at that point that there was no no way he could back down, and he had to go out there and make a point. Who cares when it is in the game, right? You got to go out there and make a point. When Aaron Judge is continuously getting called out on balls that are in the middle of his shin, you got to do something because that's I'm wait, the next step. The next step is for Judge to start screaming to people, and then that could go bad. <laughs> <laughs> the umpire, oh man, would he be scared? 
No, it was the perfect moment to do it early in that game because, first of all, you could tell he was probably annoyed. He was annoyed that the game was delayed an hour and 20 minutes, and they already had a long day ahead of them with a doubleheader. The umpire is missing calls left and right. The team is down early because Herman gives up back-to-back home runs to start the game. And uh, we're not going to win this game if Chirinos is getting calls six inches off the plate and six inches uh, off the dirt. So right. we got to do something. It's going to be right now. And it was a perfect storm of things that we were able to hear all of the quotes from Boone because I was talking to Keith about this, who was at the stadium uh, for the first pitch of the doubleheader. And he was like, there was less than 10,000 people in the stadium That's when the that key. was going on because yeah. rain delay, doubleheader, it's the, it's the middle of the afternoon. People are still at work. People didn't plan on getting there anyway until the middle of that game because they're coming from work. They're so, so, well, no, all, they're all, and their seven, their tickets were for the seven o'clock game. Their tickets right. were for the night game. So they, they didn't plan on getting there at three o'clock. Right. Even though the game started at four twenty, they they didn't plan on being there until at least six. Right. So all of the microphones in the stadium that would normally be picking up crowd noise were now picking up the yelling on the field. Right. Because if this was forty thousand people in the stadium, we wouldn't have heard any of this. We would have heard some of it, but not as clearly, for sure. Right. It wouldn't. It wouldn't have been. It would not have been as clear. There's no doubt. And we got we got some all time quotes. Let's rank them. So. The number one has to be my guys are fucking savages in the box. I mean, that's, it's great. That's the best. And, and people are uh, trying to figure out what this means. Yeah. What do you think he meant by this? That they're, they're, they're killers. They're, that's, that, that could be why they're holding up the fours. Like they're talking about they don't want, they don't want to face them. They're killers. They're, they're, they, they just they, they, they murder the ball. No, this There's, is what I, that's I what th- you think he means. I mean, well, so he he's arguing about believable. He's talking about balls and strikes. They are savages at controlling the strike zone and identifying pitches. They identify pitches better than your sorry ass is what he was telling him. I'm going to trust Aaron Judge to call a ball or a strike over you. I think you're reading into that too much. I think he just thinks that they are killers out there and they're going to do... They're professional hitters that are better than everybody else in the league. They're fucking savages. You give I, it, feel like you, we could say, I feel like we could say it now. Oh, yeah. It's, we can drop F-bombs when you follow it with a savage. <laughs> Tighten this shit up was great. You're having a shit start to this game. Yeah, and I honestly, I think my favorite, even though savages is the line, is I feel bad for you. That's yeah. just so insulting. He's like, listen, I feel bad it's for so you. so condescending. I feel bad for you. You're a young kid. This is your fifth game behind home play. I'm just feeling bad for you right now. I'm about to embarrass you on national TV. And, and, and he Boone, said it in the beginning, too, which is great. <laughs> Boone gets the suspension because he apparently made contact with the ump. If he did make contact Hat with the hat. ump, it was the, the most subtle of contact. What this suspension was really for is Aaron Boone putting the crappiness of some MLB umpires on blast. Yeah, I mean, uh, he, he even called it out. As, as soon as, as, soon as the, the um, brims touched, the, uh, Miller pointed to his So hat. Boone's like got to learn the Lou Pinella and spin the cap around. He's got to spin the cap around, yeah, because you can't control that. Sometimes it just gets in your way and you're not even real. You're not ready. You're not usually in someone's face when you're yelling you know, all the time. So you gotta, you got you to gotta be aware of your surroundings. But they're, they're great. The, the tighten it up. Um, the everything about it, like the fact that he started with, look, I feel bad for you. You're having a horrible start to the day, and I feel bad for you. But you know what? My guys are this good, and they're not going to be played down because of your sorry ass. Because you are having a bad day. Doesn't he even gave props to the pitcher? He said that Funny. pitcher's good. Chirinos this, is a good pitcher. If, if Chirinos is getting calls off the plate, Yankees are screwed. Here's my point. Boone was fair. He was fair to everybody in there. He apologized <laughs> to the umpire. Called his guys savages, which they are, and even tipped his cap to the uh, pitcher, all in the same like what minute? Not even a minute of of, of just unbelievable, perfect uh, audio. So 
It was a, it was a, it was great. It was great. There were there were a lot of people. You, if you start listening to radio and like people comparing it because it was all over the place, obviously. Uh, there were people were ranking it. I was listening to a lot of serious MLB radio too, but they were ranking this one and the Terry Collins. Um, uh, I think it was two years ago when when Terry Collins was going buck on uh, some of the umpires, and the umpires kept saying our asses are in the jackpot. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, and he's didn't, like, you, didn't really he help was the talking Mets about you got to give me a chance. You got to give us a chance. Like it was right. a good one, but I think that, I mean, the the quotes from Boone's were all time. They really are, and the uh, it's the Savages slogan. We'll we'll follow them the rest of the year. It oh, is definitely. It was next man up back in April and May when they were going through all those injuries. That is now gone. It is they are the savages. If this team wins the World Series, they are the twenty nineteen savages. That yeah. that is that's what they will be known as. Similar to the thumbs down trend back a couple of years ago. This is so much better though. <laughs> yeah, we don't have we don't have some dopey ass Mets fan like being the, the, the reason why we have it. Um it was it was fantastic and it, it what it really did was extended. It gave them the motivation, whatever sort of fire they needed to win that sweep, that doubleheader. Yankees now twelve and five against Tampa in the season series. Even though they played a lot of close games, the games, the first two games of the series were close. All the games down in Tampa were close, but they're getting the best of them. Twelve and five is a dominating record against a team who is one of the better teams in in the league. Yeah, and the, it could be way worse than that, too, with some of these close games at the end. I know it could go the other way as well, but um, the fact, you know, when we were down there uh, a couple Saturdays ago, when Hicks, you know, tied the game up, and uh, I keep I keep wanting to say, uh, I keep wanting to call him Paula Duca, by the way. I, every time I... I oh, Darno. I'm, I'm trying to, yeah, Darno. <laughs> I want to say Paula Duca. I don't know why. It's kind of Paula Duca 2.0, kind of. Yeah. So they were... Um, you know, those games were close, and the, the, the fact that they're doing it, and that was such a big deal, such a difference this year and last year of what's happening with, with not just Tampa, but the American League East, period, because they're handling their business. And if you could do that, then, I mean, it's not, a, it's not an easy thing to do. That's a tall task. It's not like just saying that is, is, is something simple to do. It's hard to do that. You should probably win more games against Toronto and and Baltimore, but you're going out there and you're dominating Boston and Tampa Bay at the same uh, you know in the same season. Like obviously you're going to have uh, good things happen for you. And Tampa, that this was I think their last chance to really, really get into this division race with the Yankees. It's going to be very tough for them to climb back from nine games with only two left head to head something disastrous for the Yankees is going to have to happen which I don't see happening Boston on the other hand is is worse in a worse place in the standings wise but I think in a better place of getting back into this division because of all of the head-to-head matchups they still have they have eight games starting this week against the Yankees yes they have to pretty much win all of those games but at least they have a chance to play them head-to-head whereas the Rays don't so that's the thing. The Rays, the Rays need to basically be ambulance chasers at this point, right? Like they need to, they need to draft Boston. If Boston yeah. wins a game, Tampa better win a game. If Boston right. wins another game, Tampa better win a game. So they're watching that and they're they're going right behind them and trying to weave their way back up into it. Um, but no, if it, you know if the if the Yankees can, you know, handle business just like we kind of talked about going into this uh, Tampa series, if they can go in and, and split, you know, they're basically putting up a zero in the. Uh, you know, advancement column of, of how close and, you're going to And you're get. knocking eight games off the schedule. Yeah, it's huge. So that's, uh, they, they, they can really, we're going to know, I feel like we will have a very pretty clear idea after we play the, uh, the Red Sox these next, what, two weeks, week and a half, two weeks, and 
Well, no, really oh, it's going to be Armageddon, are. baby. 11 days, they're going to play him eight times. Yeah, yeah. So there's a lot of pressure on Boston. A lot of pressure on Boston right now. And the Yankees are going to come in uh, feeling good. And the Red Sox, who just got, did they get swept or they lost the series? I think they lost the series. They got shut out by Baltimore last night, which is hilarious. Andrew Kasher. Andrew Kasher got, got uh, <laughs> touched up by his former yeah. teammates. And then the, whoever the hell was pitching for them, um, you know, pitched well. So it's good to see. I, it, it's fun to see. You're also start. I'm also starting to look at Houston and Minnesota. The Yankees are playing Minnesota this week, but yes, the Yankees want to win the AL East, but they also want to get best record in the American League. They currently have the best record in baseball, 30 games over 500, but they're a game and a half in the standings over Houston and four games over Minnesota uh, in the standings as far as best record in the American League because you want home field advantage throughout the playoffs. You want to be able to play the wild card team that has to burn their best pitcher in the wild card game. Yeah, no, definitely. I think it's a huge, it's a huge deal, and we've seen over the past couple of years that the record or winning for one, winning the AL East is the most important thing. Like that's that's what you got to do first and foremost. You got to win your division, and then trying to stack up as many Ws as you can so that you do have uh, the advantage to stay at home. Um, you know, we've clearly said that they they are a better team at home. They know how to play there well. Uh, this, this team fits very well at Yankee Stadium. So, ideally, obviously, you want to be there, but. Um, that's the first and foremost. Gotta gotta lock that down. And the fact that Minnesota's in that conversation, it's is, wild. It's crazy. Uh, Houston, I think we all expected to be there. And you know, we kick back up that that rivalry most likely because those are, I think, us and Houston Astros are clearly the two top teams. And I we're gonna I'm gonna talk about this in a little bit with the starting pitching. But facing Houston in a five game series scares the shit out of me. I would much rather face them in a seven-game series. Yeah, I mean, whatever. I just want to beat their ass. I don't care. I'm, I want to beat their ass. I don't care yeah. if it's five games or seven games. I, I don't think that matters as much. I just think uh, I think this team has, is mentally different right now. I think they're mentally different. The fact and they, the fact that they came as close and they and they probably should have beaten them uh, two years ago. They're just so much better. This is the year we've all circled, right? 2019 was the year that we all circled. Before when, we knew 2017 to 2018 were going to be a thing. No, I'm talking about when all the kids came up. When the trades were made, when, when, when Judge came up, when everybody came up, 2019 was where we circled. Like, probably by now, they'll be seasoned, ready to go, you know, have enough under their belt, and, uh, and have enough you know, playing time in the major leagues to really, really make a significant move. Yeah, we're moving towards uh, the August. August is right around the corner. That means football season is almost here. And as the pros get ready for training camp, you can be sure they're focused on the latest innovations to improve their game. Find out why players from around the NFL look to Sleep Number to get their best quality sleep only on a Sleep Number 360 smart bed. As the official sleep and wellness partner of the NFL, Sleep Number is proud to bring game-changing sleep to everyone from parents to pro players. Your, your parents, Scott. You probably need a good night's sleep after this weekend. It was a long weekend for you, a lot of driving, two baseball games. Yeah, those was, was too much. It was just too much for my for my body to handle. I need <laughs> sleep badly. So uh, go visit a Sleep Number store and learn how you can sleep like a pro. Plus, enter the chance to win a Sleep Number 360 smart bed and a trip for two to Super Bowl 54 in Miami. Visit a Sleep Number store. It's a uh, it's it's Facebook page or via mail for official rules in the only way you can enter. Uh, you'll find a sleep number bed or at any of the 575 sleep number stores nationwide. Find the nearest one at sleepnumber.com slash Bronx. 
You definitely need a good night's sleep. Yeah. <laughs> uh, seriously, though, go check out Sleep Number. We've talked about it before. The pillows are also fantastic. Uh, if They're you're very good. In, in, a, in a new pillow. Uh, adjustable, which is also very nice. Because you, if you don't know how thick you like the pillow, and you can, just, you can buy the pillow knowing it's not just, oh, if I don't like this, I'm screwed. I just spent X number of dollars. So go three, check out Sleep Three inserts. It's three great. inserts if you like it flat, medium, or, or thicker. Yeah, they're, they're, they're great pillows. All right. So the, I want to talk about the games, though, the doubleheader games. Herman starts out giving up back-to-back home runs. <laughs> and, oh, boy, here we go. Um, he didn't have his curveball. Both of the home runs were on hanging curveballs. That's a terrible sign. The last time out against Toronto, he dominated with his curveball. I think it was 14 swings and misses on his curveball. And one thing I was thinking about when he started this game is – this was the first time he was pitching on semi-regular rest since before he went on the IL. Because he came back off the IL, so he had a long rest, and then he got the All-Star break. So those are two extended rests. Now he's getting back into the rotation uh, five or six days. I mean, clearly, I think in this, in this start, what we saw was the delay affected him. He wasn't sharp out of the gate. And then we saw Herman. We saw him buckle down, go six innings, only two runs, which were the two home runs in the beginning. And, and he, you know, showed what he could do. So, like, this one, it's so, for me, it's so clear, like, what happened, that he just wasn't sharp in the very beginning after that delay. And whether it's, you know, him um, not fully ready again or, you know, trying to just learn how to do that after, uh, after a rain delay, because I'm sure that's a, an adjustment for a young guy like that, too. So, I, I like to see, I love to see the fact that there were, I don't love to see the two home runs, but if they are going to happen, I want to see a guy battle back and give you, you know, the start you're expecting after that. And that's what happened, man. He buckled down, and that's a big thing. That's that's huge to know that he has that in him. The fact that he can, you know, find trouble, battle through the adversity, and then come back and give you a, uh, you know, a damn good start and give your team an opportunity to win the game. Boone talked about it after the game. Herman talked about Boone too, and how he loved the ejection, and it and it. Uh, the quote was, I loved it. He had good reason to go out there and fight for us personally. I fed off that energy. But what Boone talked about was he was impressed with the fact that he didn't have his curveball and was still able to go out there and battle. Because there's one thing to go out there with your A stuff and dominate. Okay, that's that's great. Glad you did that. But it, it proves a lot about a pitcher. And I think managers, pitching coaches love to see when something goes wrong and their guy overcomes it and can still figure out a way to get through innings. Cone talks about that all the time on the broadcast. Mm-hmm. He talks about the fact some of his uh, his favorite starts are the ones where he he knows he, he goes out there, doesn't have his stuff, but can battle through six, seven innings and prove that he can pitch. You know, maybe I don't have my best stuff, but my stuff is good enough where on a, on a B day, on a C day, I can still get you out. I can still get swings and misses. And the fact that, that Herman can do that without that bugs bunny curveball, because that's what it is, man. That thing is, is when it's on, it's, it's really good. I, I know I've made these comparisons... <clears throat> Early on, that he's 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 my favorite guy to watch pitch because of the the differences, uh, just his whole repertoire. He he changes speeds, does a lot of big things. He, he reminds me of El Duque in that sense. He doesn't necessarily go to all the arm angles, but he's just fun to watch where he can change a lot, change a lot up. I mean, he's got a lot to prove before he he could get to the El Duque status. But you know, the fact that he does go out there like that reminds me of a guy like El Duque. Like if he didn't have his his best pitcher, he had a number of other pitches that he could go to, and he was that big of a competitor and could battle um, and still get you deep into a game and get outs and swings and misses. That's his big deal. Not as thick as El Duque. El Duque had those thunder thighs. 
Yeah, El Duque was put together, but um, th- I mean, there, there's a lot of differences. I'm just really the the, the fact that they can change speed so much and that curveball. I'm sorry, the uh, the change up up in the zone. You know, I'm in love with that thing that he uses it as an out pitch. It's so ballsy, and I love it. <laughs> the change up up in the zone. Didn't see that word coming because no one would be stupid enough to throw a change up up in the zone. And they all swing. They all swing. It's so good. Uh, now he just got to drop an ephus on someone. Yeah. Yeah. The Yankees, I thought two big moments, uh, two personally for Sanchez and Voigt, who got uh, hits in this game, to, uh, run scoring hits were big because both of those guys have still been struggling, haven't looked 100% right at the plate. And with Voigt, I mean, we saw him get hit in the face on Saturday. The He's game, so we over there. getting hit. <laughs> it's, uh, it, 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 you know, we're in the stands out in section 205, so you don't see everything. So we saw him get hit. And first of all, the way that it was kind of a weird atmosphere on Saturday because there were people in the stadium, but everyone was back. Everyone was undercover. Yeah. So close to the field, there was nobody. But in in the tunnels or in the concourse and then wherever there was shade, there were people. Yeah. But it was so him getting... You look around the stadium and it was just like a band of people underneath the shade. And then on the first base side, as the day went on, you could see more people filtering on that side because the shade was there. Right. Because the sun kind of goes down over the, the first base line behind home plate. But he gets hit. He gets grazed. And he stays in the game. So you're like, oh, did, did, where did that hit him? Did that right. hit him up in the shoulder? Yeah. W- what happened? And then obviously we saw follow on Twitter or whatever. Voigt gets hit in the face. What the, what the hell is he still doing in the game? What a savage. How is that animal still in the game? They showed him on third base. I was watching the replay with a just big swollen lip. He ends up scoring the run, comes out for defense, back in there the next day, wearing the face guard. But Voight, uh, that's just something, you know, classic Voight. He's not going to – no undershirt on a 100-degree day. Who cares about chafing? Chafing be damned. Who cares about getting hitting in the face? Let's stay in the game. He doesn't chafe. They, they, he would, they talked about that on, uh, with Ruko and Cece on their podcast. He's got strong nipples. He's got, he's got seasoned, seasoned nipples. They don't, they don't chafe. And if you could go no undershirt on a 100-degree day, of course you're going to do that. The, the, so I, I think this is, this is how it went down. He got hit in the face. He's like, what the, why do I, why am I continuously getting hit? Why is this happening? And it's up in the zone. Cause he's been up in the, they've been up in the zone on him a lot. Do you uh, know why he actually gets hit a lot? Cause he's, he's close to the plate. He's cause he he's, dives. Yeah. He's there. So I, the I mean, way I understand, he, he, but it's all, so. a, a lot of time it's been up in the zone. It's been up towards his head. Yeah. I mean, that's messed up obviously. And that's what CC was talking about back in Tampa when they hit him up in the shoulder on uh, a retaliation. Yeah. You're going to hit a guy. You're going to hit a guy. There's places to hit a guy middle yeah. of the back, butt, thigh, right. not, not the head. Yeah. Yeah. So the, I swear, like he come, he goes up to that, to first base. He realizes that it was a glancing blow. It hit his cheek. Like, you see that replay. It's crazy how it, yeah. it, it, it like just barely got him. He's like, I'm not coming out of this game. You could pull me next in the middle of the inning, but I'm not coming out right now. Yeah. Like, there's no possible way Luke Voigt's coming out unless he like, broke his jaw. That was the only thing I was concerned about is that if it, if it got the, the jaw line like, on the way back and, and, and did some damage there. But I mean, he's, a, he's literally a couple centimeters away from broken teeth and a, and a, and a messed up jaw oh, he, like Stanton. I mean, not, not, not just that. I mean, like, like all bad things are in play at that point. Right. So very lucky. Yeah. And I don't know why all guys don't wear this chin guard. Like, what, what are you messing with? I understand it might not be the most comfortable thing. And like with hockey, distracting hockey players, how some guys who are grandfathered in don't wear masks. I'm like, are, are you out of your damn mind? There's 100 mile an hour slap shots and guys are diving in front of pucks. And who was it? Um, 
You're going to go Craig, out there. Craig McTavish, I think, was the last guy to not wear a helmet, played for the Rangers. Psychopath. He, he kept going. He kept that going as long as he possibly could. A law of averages, though. You're going you're gonna to get in the batter's box enough. You're going to dive in front of enough pucks. You're going to get hit in the face. Well, so the, um, for that, like the, the way you hit, I mean, I could definitely see how that's a distraction because it's in your line of sight. It's something you just have to get used to, obviously. Yeah. Uh, but for a guy like Voigt who, who dips in and, and does get you know, hit quite often, and he, 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 you know, he kind of lunges. So I think that's the other reason why he gets hit up, upstairs is, is because he gets down a little bit more. So for a guy like that, it would probably be kind of smart. But, you know, he's a, he's a big animal. He's a big, big <laughs> savage animal, so he doesn't like doing those things. <laughs> Uh, going into game two, they get the get the win in game one, and you're then feeling okay about going into game two with the opener. Yankees are now nine and zero with the opener, Wild. keeping ta- keeping tallies on that. Green goes an inning, he loads the bases and, and escapes. Cortez did his thing; he was he was okay, put some guys on base, one run allowed. The standout pitcher I thought was Sessa, um, allowing three base runners on 45 pitches and three and a third innings pitch. It's extremely efficient. Hey man, he's been good lately. He's been he's been turning it up. Luis Sessa has become now a uh, a guy that could go in there and fill some innings. You know, maybe 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 they've had a, a meeting. Maybe Sessa and Cortez and Hale. They're all like, you know what, guys, we're the three inning guys. We're we're the ones that are the get you out of jail free card. If can we, we make a t shirt for those three jabronis? If we can, if we can basically save the game in the middle innings and, and just steady the ship. We got a bunch of savages out there who could just knock the ball around. All we got to do is steady the ship and these guys could come back. And I feel like they've rallied. They got like a little mini rally thing going on with the middle innings and, uh, and they're, they're good. And Sesame, like this is, did he, this is my last prediction to come true. Like, this is the guy that I need. I need this guy. So, so that I, I have a nice little clean sweep and, his stuff is there. We've, we, we know that. We've talked about that. I'm a That's stuff never guy. That's never been an issue. That's never Got the been. stuff. The stuff has never been an issue. It's executing. It's, it's mental. It's getting, making sure that you can finish your pitches, do all these things. And for now, for now, because I'm not going to get too far ahead of myself, he's looking like he's progressing. So that's good. So we got he's, he's got no option. So we need, to, he, we need him to figure it out or else someone else is going to figure it out somewhere else. We got David Hale. He's, he's United States, born in America. We got Luis Sessa, Me- Mexican. And we got Nestor Cortez. He's Cuban. Something with with the two. Is this like a bar joke? Like I'm, not making, a, a, I'm a, not making a joke. I'm just saying like something like like uh, the, it's we're in the tri-state area. That's the tri tri country of. Uh, Don't you of, know not to go over T-shirt ideas when we're when we're talking to like thousands of people. We got to keep this stuff in house so that we can come out. Otherwise, I don't know. I Ninety-seven mean, other people are going to come out with T-shirts. I didn't see any other Savage T-shirts that went up. Anyway, <laughs> that's right. It was only one <laughs> on Thursday. Only ours. You can only get it at Bronx Pinstripes Fan Shop. Uh, yeah, you're right though. Um, Sessa, he has to borrow a phrase from Judge. Back his back is against the wall. Yeah. If, he, if he starts sucking, he's out of options. He can't just be sent back down to square, and he's going to be released. And someone will pick him up. Someone right. will claim him. That's the thing with him. So yeah, he he is he's at a, at a point, and he knows what this team is. So there there's a there's a fire there. Like, look, I I gotta be on this team, I gotta stay on this team. So I'm literally pitching for an opportunity to to chase a championship. Because if not, I'm gonna be somewhere else. Maybe I'll be in Oakland or wherever. You know, like that's that's a Billy Bean waiver pickup for sure. Billy Bean would definitely pick up Luis Sessa and start him in a playoff game. Absolutely, a thousand percent. <laughs> Uh, I also enjoyed the fact that the Yankees ended up getting to Morton, really made him work. A uh, couple walks, um, 
to be able to get to Morton. The Rays go into that doubleheader with Chirinos and Morton. Got to be feeling good about themselves. And the Yankees sweep it. Right. I mean, the death moment for Morton was, was bases loaded and a balk, which wasn't his fault. Catcher stands up like he's calling time and time not granted. So Morton stops. And a buck. And like it was clearly on the country. He shouldn't have stood up because time was not granted and it was too late. Um, was Flaherty talking about how he wants to. Who was talking about getting rid of the balk on yes? I, I don't know. I don't. Uh, that game, I don't even think I had the broadcast on. I was just kind of watching it while I was doing some. No, work. it was in the studio. Yeah, I don't remember. The, oh, Showalter. Oh, I could see. Showalter that. doesn't want the balk. He does. So. What if it's deceiving the runner at, at, at one of the bags? He no, no, no. He, he said that shouldn't be a balk, that specific instance. Oh, that particular? Yeah. He said, yes, they're a box, but that should not be considered a balk. But why? The, it's still, the play is still happening. That's the problem. The, the play was never called dead. So Buck Showalter just needs something to be angry yeah, about. Yeah, so like, there's, I don't know where you go. Like, I, under, I kind of understand the sentiment because it's, it's, like, it's just a, a mix-up, but the play is still live. Like, unless the umpire calls it dead, it's live. So there's really nothing you can do. It's a balk. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I don't Buck, know. Buck Buck Showalter needs to get off that hill. Buck Showalter, he's being on brand by complaining about something minute. Right. Yeah. Colorado comes in. You got Mr. Mr. MVP. DJ LeMahieu is my MVP, in case you missed it, were the T-shirts over the weekend. Everyone loved those T-shirts at, at the event on Saturday. They were they're probably my favorite shirts that... Uh, we've ever made for for the events very very cool shirts um i'm glad everybody like a, liked them it was it's funny because it was one of my when i when i'm putting some designs out sometimes i feel good about them sometimes i don't and it's one of those things where i beat i'm probably my toughest critic as far as designs and i don't like to put out stuff that looks like shit i just don't so you really won't see any trash come out i don't care if i'm first or last i'll put out something that i feel good about the that one i was like you know i was like all right with it I was going after like the old school campaign uh, campaign T-shirts, campaign mm-hmm. posters, um, but I think it ended up turning out. Everybody liked it, so I'm good with that. I think what really makes it is LeMahieu, that picture you found of him just looking off into the distance, like yes. like an assassin. That's that was my favorite part of like the fact that I the 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 image of him looking off is is pretty good. It's like it's like you know he's a, he's like the, our hope. <laughs> I kind of love it. And coming into the series, him and Talkman facing their old team. They went 10 for 20 with two homers, five RBIs, and nine runs scored. They tormented their ex-team all weekend. And Talkman, Talkman has been good since being called up for the London series. He's 10 for 21. It's almost a 500 average since coming up from London, playing good defense, playing left field, playing right field. The way Boone, the way Cashman talks about Talkman, they like Talkman. They do you like might Talkman. Not, you may not like Talkman out there listening because you may want Clint Frazier. I still like Clint Frazier too, but the team likes Talkman. And if you, I mean, if you still don't believe that defense is a real case in this situation. I never said it wasn't. But it's a, it's a real thing. It's a real thing because what he does now is he gives you flexibility everywhere in the outfield. And Clint Frazier does not do that. And guess what we're not in short supply of? Hits, runs, offense. What they need to do at a certain point in games is run prevention. They need to make sure that they can defend and make sure that they can make plays. And if you have a guy on the roster who's only an offensive player, a good offensive player, but that's 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 his value. That's his only value, really, because in later in the games, you're probably going to take him out if it's close. 
I'm talking about Clint Frazier, then that becomes almost a flexible, it's a liability in your flexibility. <laughs> it's a liability in your flexibility. You sound, and, like, you sound like Johnny Cochran. And he doesn't, it's, a, it's a liability and he doesn't, and he doesn't like it. Boone doesn't uh, like it. Cashman doesn't like it. Not, they don't like it. They don't like having liabilities in the flexibility, right? No. And, it's, and it's one of those things where Mike Talkman fits the bill now. Well, he just fits the team better. Just like LeMay, you fit the lineup. He fits this team better because of the, the capabilities he does on defense. And if, he, and if he's hitting like he is now, then where's the, there's no controversy at all. Yeah, that was exactly going to be my point, that the only argument for Clint Frazier was that, well, Talkman can't hit as a major league player, and Clint Frazier was raking. I still don't think Talkman's as good of an offensive player as Oh, no, Clint no, Frazier. no, but saying they are. Yeah, he but if not. he's not a liability in the, in the lineup and you stick him ninth and he can get on base a couple times and maybe poke a home run every now and again and play good defense, I think I was looking this up. He's provided already uh, .7 F war and like something like 45 games played. So yeah. that's, a, that's a couple war player if you extend it to the full season. Don't t- you're not going to tell me the nerds aren't looking at that saying, oh, look what this kind of what kind of value we're getting for a 25th man on the roster, our bench guy. And it's going to be a real decision when Mabin comes back. He's coming back soon. Mabin was the flexibility guy that could play the outfield and was hitting and was running and all that kind of stuff. But if Talkman is doing those same things, I don't, what do you do? You're going to have both of them on the roster. That would be asinine. Right. Uh, Talkman can still be, you know, be shipped up and up and down too from Scranton. So that, that's possible yes. because Cameron, Cameron Maven cannot. But so, how do you send him down right now when he's producing? It's, it's a tough decision. Well, it's, it would, it's a roster decision. That's, that's, that's all it is. Like these guys have to understand that these things are going to have to happen with the way this team is constructed. Like that was the reason. Uh, and I know we'll get to, to, to a little bit more on this, but that was one of the reasons why Clint Frazier, you know, it really wasn't necessarily, I mean, certainly you can, you can point to some of the, uh, some of the uh, the extracurricular things that were a reason why he was sent down, but one of the big reasons, if not the biggest reason, was the the way that the roster roster is uh, sounded like a rod. The roster is constructed <laughs> is he, there, someone had to go down. It just had to happen. So, um, you know, it's just the way. It's unfortunately the way that the numbers game is right now. Yeah, and I think what you'll see happen is is Mabin be placed back on the roster. They'll give him a shot if he picks up where he left off. Great. If he, turn, if he turns back into a pumpkin, then you know what? Maybe, maybe say la vie, uh, Cameron Mabin. Yeah. And then, and then it could be Talkman or Frazier if Frazier's still on this team. Then yes. you see them both down there. You see where the team is, what, what's happening. Maybe they have like a 12-game lead and we can get Frazier out there uh, and, and you know, get him going a little bit, get some confidence. Well, the hope is also at that goal. point Stanton is back. Hope Stanton so is back. If Stanton's back, he's the left fielder and Brett Gardner now takes the fourth outfield spot. That's the thing. You also exactly you want to you want to make sure you can uh, you can get Gardner some some breathing room towards the end of the season because don't want to see him fade off because you, you think that he's going to be part uh, you know an integral part of the late season push the playoff push he's going to be on the roster so you want him healthy and ready to go as well because in theory the best lineup is with Stanton in left and Encarnacion DHing right not not with Gardner in the outfield even though Gardner's been on fire since pretty much June first it's, uh, it's just not your best defensive lineup. No, but but you're not taking Encarnacion or Stan out of a lineup in a playoff game. You're just not going to do it. Um, 
Encarnacion, since the All-Star break, is 9 for 34. It's a 265 average, nothing special. But he's got four homers, two doubles, and 14 RBIs. He had the Grand Slam on Friday. That was the Yankees' 31st comeback win of the season, which improved, they improve now to 21-16 and 16 when opponents score first. Only team in Major League Baseball to have a winning record when the opponent scores first. That's pretty awesome. That's, uh, that's I was surprised to see that stat. That, that they, they were the only, only one? Yeah. You figure yeah. Dodgers might get down early. They're going to come back. They've got the second best record or Minnesota or something. But no, Yankees only team without winning record in those scenarios. Yeah, no, I think that says a lot to, to what this team is, too. I mean, that's, that's the never, never uh, say we're out of this game, never say die type of attitude. Guard, or, uh, Boone talks about that all the time, how he, he believes that they were, you're really not out of a game. I mean, you see even on Sunday uh, a four-run game, and they're setting up, they're, they're putting in um, you know, pitchers to, to lock down the game to, to keep it at a four-run because they might be able to get four runs in the bottom of the ninth. Like he, they're just setting things up. Like there's, they, there's a feeling that they're never out of it, no matter how, how high the, uh, the, the tally is, even four runs in the ninth. It's, it's, a, it's, a good, it's a good mindset. I was watching in the eighth inning. I had it on mute because I was watching the Hall of Fame inductions on my computer. And then the Yankees, Hicks hits the home run, and they get to with, within four. And I'm, like, chat warming up. I'm like, what, what do I do here? Do I put the game volume back on, or Mariano's about to come up? Do I listen to Mariano? I listened to Mariano and kept the game on mute. But it was a question in my mind. Yeah, no, absolutely. It was, it's, I had to listen to my, the, the, I, I really, you know, I was trying to think about this. Like I was In the beginning, I'm like, you know, this is a bad job by baseball having the Yankees on and the Hall of Fame at the same time. Thank you for bringing this up. It's yes. a bad job. But at the same but I'm also thinking about this like I, I started thinking about it more. One, it's a long ass ceremony and you the way that the schedule works like if you put the Yankees later in the day they're they're getting out of town like they're they're it's a travel I don't know. It's No, it's, why not start the ceremony at 11 a.m.? Or start it early. Yeah, that's fine too. You could do that. I was watching so it started at 1:30. A player did not speaking until did, a player did not start speaking until two thirty. Right, was so you started all... at eleven thirty though. Mariano's smack in the middle of like the fourth inning then. Okay, but there's not a great solution there. Like, I was thinking about it more, and it's like unfortunately there's not a great solution if you have it on the same day, just because it's a long ceremony. Um, but for their own sake, why not like, do it on Saturday? Then? Why not do it earlier anyway? It gets hot. It's in the middle of freaking July. Like, there's a bunch of old dudes out there. Let's let's oh, knock yeah. this down. Let's have like Cooper's, so. It was only eighty. It's like, Wimble, like breakfast at Wimbledon. Let's do breakfast at Cooperstown. You know what I mean? Like, let's have a morning ceremony. We could do that on the East Coast. Who cares about the West Coast? They can watch it taped live. No one's gonna ruin it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you got a couple. Uh, Seattle traveled for that. Ego Martinez. No, I was I was like actually shocked how many Seattle fans came. I was like, that's a long-ass trip. That's Where do you even fly home, into? That's... Albany and drive? Like, what do you do? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Or Boston? Uh, I don't I... really... I've been to Cooperstown. I went when I was like 10 or 11 years old, but I don't really know where Cooperstown is. Like, it's in the map. middle of absolutely nowhere. It's smack in the middle of uh, upstate. I was there Albany has ago. to be the biggest major airport then. Yeah. I... Is Albany a major airport? I... I don't know. Whatever. It's, I have I have no knowledge on this. I've never flown into Albany in my life, so I have no idea. I've never flown to go to Cooperstown. I've only driven. How many times have you been? Uh, once. I just I hadn't gone. So funny story. <laughs> I was supposed to go when I was in like seventh grade, sixth grade. We had a whole like a family trip, and um, and for whatever reason, apparently I was just being a big prick. 
and I was shocking. I, I was being such a. I was just being an asshole to my mom and all these things. And they're like the threat. My parents are had uh, been divorced for a while. So on the week, every other weekend, we would go to my dad's. And the threat was like, if you don't, if you don't be behave better, whatever I was doing, I don't remember. Stop being an asshole, or you're going to your dad. You're not going to Cooperstown. And I just kept pushing the buttons. Apparently, and I got sent to my dad's house, and everybody else went to Cooperstown. Which is dirty. Oh, wow. Which is dirty because nobody else really cared about Cooperstown. <laughs> they just I was did the it to spite you. only one that really cared. But they had the trip and they went. So I actually did not go at that point. And I still bring that up and, and hang it over my mother's head. I was like, that's evil. I couldn't you know, have been that bad. Derek Jeter's next year. I know. Maybe we do a July BP crew event in Cooperstown. There's no maybe about it. I've already started planning it. <laughs> I've, already, I've already started lining this thing up. It is kind of an annoying time of year to do it in Cooperstown, though. <laughs> like, why in the middle of July? Why not do it? There's a bunch of old guys there, and, 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 and they're wise. No, but why not do it over the All-Star break? It's just a lot of stuff to pack in. I think it's a lot of things to pack in. Plus, you have all of the, you know, all the people that are at Cooperstown for the Hall of Fame inductions. A lot of them are at the all-star game. I mean, think about what they do at the all-star game. Sometimes they that's have, true. they have honorary ceremonies where they, no, they right, I mean, that's, a, that's a, a thousand percent true. All those writers, all those media personnel, all those famer, former, uh, former hall of famers. Yeah. Especially for the, the town that they're playing in. Like yeah. all those guys usually come back. All right. It was a bad idea. Chill. <laughs> <laughs> the game on Saturday that we were at Yankees scored 11 without a home run, which is great. I loved this play by Glaber where he hits uh, a slow ground ball to left field. Didi was on second at the time. Didi advances to third. The left fielder is just out there taking a sweet ass time for some god knows reason. Like for every quad, every play, every quadruple ball pumps, lobs the ball back in. Glaber heads up base running. I've criticized Glaber's base running in the past for making mistakes. This was a heads up play. Takes off for second. Makes the cutoff man make a rush throw. He throws it into the outfield. Didi scores. It was good. They they made a they had a, a few base running plays like that where they were just taking extra bases because you could see the sloppiness. I mean, there. So when we're in two hundred five, we have the overhang, and uh, if the ball's against the wall, it's hard to see like what happens, obviously, because it's uh, the vantage point's cut off. But I mean, there were some of these fly balls that that were up in the air for a while that that looked like they absolutely should have been caught, and, the right and then you see drop out there. Like, what are you doing? And I know there were communications issues on Sunday too with the uh, center fielder and right fielder. So it was uh, it was strange the, the way that they were playing that outfield and and that they didn't get some of those balls because you gotta you gotta think that a lot of the majority of major league outfielders get to the, some of these balls and they're and they're caught. So I don't know I don't know what the hell Colorado was doing. I think and it was I, Romine hit a hit a looping fly ball into the into the right field gap and it's just like the, yeah the, it was the right looped. fielder just the right fielder just like took a weird roundabout angle to it and it fell right at his feet. Like what are you doing? So there was something also that, that was brought up uh, when I was listening to Sirius this weekend, too. They were, um, they were talking about the trajectory. They were talking about the, the juice ball and the amount of home runs and stuff like that, too. But they're also talking about how a lot of outfielders and they've, the guys who have been on their show have talked about this quite often, where they're misreading the ball, where they think the ball is going to be an X spot because it normally is. But in fact, it's like, you know, three feet over your head on a line drive because the ball is, is carrying further. It's just it's, it's hot. And actually, we saw that with Judge this weekend, too. I, I think it was Friday. I think it was Friday night. Um, might have been Thursday. But there was a line drive that looked like normally he would, he would, uh, he would play well, but kind of misplayed it. And, and he had and, to jump. 
and the ball, yeah, it went over his head. Well, the ball went over his head. And oh, there's another the one that he had to jump and he almost missed. So I think that I think the ball is coming off the bat hotter than than uh, a lot of these guys are expecting, and some of them are surprising the outfielders. That one was weird because it was a looping, but you know who knows what the shadows were doing at that point and what they'll blame. But uh, yeah, so it's, it, it, it's become a thing around the league. I mean, just, just these guys who who talk to people who talk to players all around the league. That's one of their. You know, one of the things that they've found as to be consistent, the outfielders are definitely seeing that the uh, the ball is taking different trajectory paths than it normally has. So the, s- the smooth balls, Verlander's not wrong. Verlander's of, not wrong. Speaking of smooth balls, if oh, you want smooth balls out there, boy, do we have a company for you. You got to check out Manscaped. So we have a new advertiser on the show, and it is sometimes. Uh, we get scripts sent and you got to read it verbatim. Other yep. times you get a company that says, have fun with it. So Manscaped is exactly what you think it is. It is to take care of your nether regions. It is a trimmer, different sorts of ointments, different sorts of uh, products. De- deodorants. Deodorant. Yep. I tested the deodorant, the ball deodorant on Saturday and I, I think it got me through the day. Okay. But the lawnmower 2.0 is the... Uh, proprietary skin safe technology uh that they created so this trimmer will not nick your sack or nuts if you are down there and you know it can get it can get hairy no pun intended but pun intended it it's a little nerve-wracking you want something that you can know you can go down there especially if you're a first if you're a first timer yeah but you want to know there you can go down there and you can go to town in confidence you do not want your balls looking like kurt Schilling's sock you do not want to take your pants off with a lady, whether it's your wife, your fiance, your girlfriend, or just a lady you meet out, out somewhere, <laughs> and, and you do out. not want to be nicked. That would no. be bad news. Yeah. No, these are, these are things you got to think about. So Manscaped has a lot, of, a lot of very good products. And, you know, I, I think personally, even if, that, if it's not, even if it's not something that you're trying to, to use in another regions, you can use another. It's a flexible product. Now, I don't it's, recommend using it both. But if you're trying to go one way or the other, you could do that. So there's, there's, things that, there's things that can happen above the belt and below the belt. I mean, the T-shirt literally says your balls will thank you. I'm holding it up right now. Yeah. But uh, the Yankees don't allow beards. Nope. Why, why are you going to have a beard down below? It's true. I tested yeah. out the, the crop preserver ball deodorant on, on Saturday. So I was looking through the products. They sent us a nice package. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> They sent us a nice um, uh, assortment of things, and one of them is a ball deodorant, and it's this anti-chafing ball deodorant, and yep. it's going to be 100 degrees. I'm going to be sitting outside at Yankee R- Stadium. Really I'm the like, perfect day. I'm like, this is perfect. I'm taking this for a test spin. And I think it worked because I got, com- uh, I got a comment late, late in the game. Someone said, hey, you didn't sweat through your shirt. You're like the only person to not sweat through your shirt. And I only used the ball deodorant on my balls. But you know how if like a certain part of your body gets hot, it makes other areas of your body sweat. So you're thinking this, think, was, this, you're, this, this was like the center point uh, for, for yes. the cooling of your body. I kept the core cool and it spread. I also sat in the shade most of the game. Unlike yes, you your did. Stupid ass. <laughs> so get like 20%, 20% off and free shipping with code Bronx at manscaped.com. Always, always use the right tools for the job. Your balls will thank you. Thanks for reining that in because I was going to keep going. I had so many ball jokes. I know. I saw I've been them. thinking about them for like three days. Uh, Tanaka, 
everything has been positive with this team. Like literally everything. The, the, so, the don't, so, don't, so don't do it. Don't do it. No, I, I have to talk about Tanaka and Paxton because Tanaka was so good through five innings, like so efficient, had his pitch count low. I think there were um, how many base runners? I think three base runners, two hits. We kept so looking think, up. We kept looking up the uh, at the pitch count. We're like, damn, he is. He is like sixty-five pitches or something like that through five innings. He had only allowed two hits, and then the Rockies put up a five spot in the sixth inning on a single, double, walk, three-run home run, double, single. Yeah, how does that happen when you've been so dominant? I understand the heat probably affected him, and yes. it's a huge lead at that point. The Yankees are are crushing the ball, so. Throw strikes. Maybe you're like, if you're if you're Tanaka, uh, if you're Boone, you're like, eh, do I want to send Tanaka back out there? And then you look at the pitch count and you look at the scenario. I'm like, he's barely broken a sweat, like even though it's 100 degrees out. But he goes out there and he just completely loses it. Boone said his, his splitter was flat and he lost command of, of his pitches. How, why does this keep happening to him in the middle of the games? Because um, – Blow-up innings for him has been a real problem. And I'm excluding London in this. I know you say, throw London out. I'm going to throw London out. Tanaka has still allowed four or more earned runs in a single inning in six different games this year. Yeah, no, it's it's just so weird how that happens in in uh, in, in bulk in, in, a, in a one spot in a game. And you can tell, look, he goes out there. And like you said, it's 100 degrees outside. They have a huge lead. So what, is, what does he do? And we, we've always said this. He always, Tanaka always, when, there's, when he has a lead or if there's nobody on base, he'll, he'll challenge you way more, more often than if there's, there's guys on. I mean, like that's a, a duh moment. But he does it uh, you know, probably more than anybody else. He will come over the plate. He has no problem giving up a solo home run. He just doesn't have that problem. So he comes in here. He's throwing strikes. Like I'm just going to pepper the zone, throw strikes. And if they hit it, you know, the guys behind me will play some defense. Law of averages will probably get out of the inning. Maybe they scored two or three runs. Unfortunately, there was a three-run home run sprinkled in there as well, and he just couldn't get anything done. And I think, I think the Heat does play into it. I think when you're, when you're, um, you know, you're out there every inning, it just it adds up and adds up and adds up, and you get out there for another one. The fatigue can get into you, and if you can't find it, I feel like it could snowball. But it's not just today. It's hard to just blame the Heat because it's happened other times. Right. So it's one and of those things that, that is concerning when he does lose it. It goes. And that's concerning for a playoff scenario because you can overcome a four- or five-run inning when you're putting up 11 on the Colorado Rockies' crappy pitching staff. What happens if you get into a division series and you're playing a good team and he gives up a four spot in the second inning? What are you going to do? Right. And, and that's the thing. Like, that's, where, that's where I think a lot of this stuff where um, you know, Cashman's going to go out there and make moves for pitching, whether it's a starter or a reliever, you're going to see these scenarios play out. And, and unfortunately with Tanaka, he's one of our probably best uh, best chances of getting he'd deep get into game, a game. He'd get game one start right now if the playoffs started. But he's also the best chance of us getting deep into a game with a starter at this point. And, well, him and, and Hermana, I guess you could say if there's no innings limit, but when Tanaka's giving up these big spots in the middle of a game, there's going to be Oh, they're not going to let him battle through it. There's, there's like, gonna, well, there's also going to be times where you see who's coming up. It's the fifth inning. You're like, his pitch counts like this. Uh, you know the the numbers against these guys maybe aren't as great. There there could be a hard decision where they're looking at the analytics. The analytics are supporting taking him out, and you could see him pulled. I'm just like that's that's the type of scenario where you just need arms to to go out there and battle, whether it's starter or reliever. And I think this team fits 
that dynamic more than any other team because these starters don't go deep. And I know that's a, 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 a something throughout the league, but really for this Yankees team, it's 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 a very it's a very um, real narrative that we're going to have to watch throughout the rest of the season to see if any of these guys can get more depth and and prove that they can go deeper into games with success. I'm I'm identifying Tanaka and Paxton right now as the two guys who should be doing it. And Paxton was. I mean, well, Tanaka, I mean, it's, it's how can you not put Herman in there? You throw the innings limit out. Herman is is the best pitcher on this team right now. I agree. He's been with the that. best pitcher on this team all year. But even when Tanaka, I mean, even when Herman. He hasn't gone more than six innings ever. Like, well, I think, I think a lot he's of gone one start more than six innings. So you're gonna when you're, when you're, you're in a playoff gonna, scenario though. It's a, it's a it's they're not gonna extend him past six innings. Well, I think no shot on, in hell. It depends on pitch count. It depends where he is. But he's he if there's no innings limit and he's going well and and Herman's on his game, like I could see nope. them absolutely going. nope nope nope. But again, nope. no shot. Scenarios. Nope. There's no shot. They will they will they will push Tanaka because of the track record. They might push Paxton if he can prove something in the next two months. Herman, five innings, maybe six innings. They're not gonna. They're not gonna do it with him until he proves he can do it. He hasn't proved he could do it. I know it's partially because of the innings limit, but that's, it's also really his fu- first full full season. Mm-hmm. So I I just think they're gonna they're gonna get what they can out of him and and move on. And I'm fine with that. He's their most effective pitcher, but he's. He's not, I don't think, a guy they're going to be leaning on to be the dominant ace of a playoff series. I'm not even talking about being that. I'm not even talking about that. I'm talking about a uh, guy giving you the best opportunity. And if, if we're not seeing him stretch out into the seventh, eighth inning, even when he's capable of it in the regular season, it will be because of innings limits. It'll be because of pitch count. It's not to say that he can't do it. It's not to say that he doesn't have the ability to do it and that he wouldn't be strong coming out in another inning. I think they're really just trying to temper that. What I'm saying is, in a scenario uh, in the playoffs, pitch counts out the window uh, for the most part. Innings limits out the window. It's what are you doing right now? What are the matchups looking like? How many times are you through the the um, lineup? What is the break doing on your ball? I think all of that comes more into play in a playoff short game, uh, short series scenario where I could see them, you know, pushing him a little bit more if everything else were in line. That's what I'm saying. Like I think he's got the ability to do that. And even in the regular season, I still think he has the ability to do that. I just don't think they're going to let him get to that point in the regular season. I could see it maybe um, pushing it. But again, all of this goes down and, and comes out the uh, comes out the uh, out of the game when you're looking at all of these different metrics and you're looking at who's available. And it, you think that in a short series, most guys are available, right? Like the majority of these guys are, are available at that point. And you have... You have savages in the bullpen too. Those guys could come in and uh, and do their job because that's what they're getting paid for. So that that's where the scenarios go out the window of getting a guy deep in a game. Like why, why do you need to do that? Because you have this bullpen. That's the reason it's there. Yeah, it's just the, it scares me going with Tanaka and his blow up and incapabilities and and Paxton and his inconsistency. He uh, gave up seven runs on Sunday. Looked bad from the start. Lead-off home run to Blackman, which is the second game in a row he's allowed a lead-off home run. First inning problems, but it wasn't just first inning. Yes had a great stat on the broadcast. Batters leading off innings get on base at a 364 clip against Paxton. It is way too high. He walked two lead-off batters in this game. Both came around to score. It's He beats himself in those scenarios. Yes, he still strikes people out. And is and he he can still overpower a hitter, but with the walks and the deep counts and the struggles in the first inning, I can't trust him. 
I'm sorry. I can't trust him. And some of these balls, if you look at the replays too of of, uh, of where these pitches were, the the Blackman home run was was over the plate. Um, you know, some of the uh, the the double that that scored two was over the plate. Like he's missing out over the plate as well. And when you're falling behind and you're trying to hit corners and you're out over the plate, you're gonna get you're gonna get hit around. I don't care how hard you're throwing; it doesn't matter. None of these guys care about that. They can all hit 100 miles over the plate if they know a fastball is coming. If they're looking fastball and there's something that's that's uh, that's significantly over the plate and it's 100 miles an hour, it doesn't matter. They're gonna hit the ball. So you have uh, you have a guy that's struggling. And Boone was even talking about this in the press conference afterwards, like. He's aware, they're all aware that it takes him longer sometimes to ramp up for some reason and that they got to figure it out. He was Well, they he, tried I think they tried something different yesterday. Yeah. Well, for the most part they're Boone talking about how he has been good uh, throughout the year cuz you see the bright spots. You see the the opportunities where where Paxton comes out there and does well. And then you see and again, like that that's kind of goes back to the um the Herman uh praise where you see him give up two home runs early and then and then buckles down. But unfortunately with Paxton, it's just too often and too consistent with his struggles in the first inning. Like, it's it's getting to a point where it's, that's ridiculous. Like, I'm not happy that you're battling back anymore. I just want you to figure it out in the first inning and get through a clean inning so that we can see a clean outing. Yeah, and for the most part, you look at his last, like, seven starts. It's, it's remarkably consistent at, like, six innings, two or three runs, and then a couple blow-ups in the middle. But it's, it's the deep pitch counts. It's the high pitch count by the fifth and sixth inning that makes me worried worried going forward. I, I don't know what they're going to do with the trade deadline. They're going to do something. What are we, nine days now? Uh, ten, like ten, ten ten, days? It's in ten days if you include Monday. But I, I look at the starting staff, and as, as good as this team has been, as fun as this team has been to watch all the comeback wins – the savages moment, the offense, the fact that they have a massive lead in the division. I'm still extremely concerned with this starting pitching going into October. It's, I mean, it's the area of weakness, and it's so very clear. So I think we all understand that Brian Cashman is going to address it one way or another, whether it's relief pitching, starting pitching, however he's going to do it, he's going to address this pitching staff uh, to a point that I think gives them more depth. Again, whether I mean, he has to. There's, it would be complete negligence if he doesn't. Right, and and theoretically, we're looking at Batances, who does look like he's 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 ramping up and and hopefully going to come back. That's another humongous arm uh, coming out again. I don't think anybody's counting on Severino, but if you can get that, that's nice. But you got to make that move to to bolster whether it's Stroman or. Um, if they do I'd go after a, a guy Boyd or Minor with uh, with Texas, like there are people and guys who you can go out there and make and make some moves, but. Scherzer, Scherzer's not in there. Uh, Bumgarner still on the table. Like if they hit a, a little bit of a losing streak, these next these next ten days, these next ten days are yeah, going to be San very Fran important. San Fran has like gone on a winning streak somehow. Yeah. <laughs> like, but they have to understand. Like, are they still in it? Even if they're vying for a second wild card spot, like, are you really still in it? That owner is kind of stubborn. The thing is, is when you when we see uh, what happens in these next ten days, there could be more guys open and available uh, sure. for for trade. So it, it'll be interesting to see who is. But they're definitely scouting Marcus Stroman. There's no doubt about it. They, they're sending guys out there to, to see what he's doing. They also apparently were heavily scouting uh, Noah Syndergaard. I mean, come on. I don't, I don't <laughs> even want to mess around with that. Yeah. Speaking of trades, so Coley Harvey spoke with Clint Frazier and a couple of interesting quotes that he got from him. So Frazier spoke with Cashman on the phone recently, and, and Frazier said, he was honest with me. 
I walked away from that conversation feeling really good about my present situation and my future situation. Uh, and then Harvey said he remains optimistic that his future is in pinstripes and not as a trade chip entering the upcoming deadline. So do you think this is Brian Cashman just giving Frazier some positive reinforcement to keep him mentally engaged? Well, I think it's definitely part of that for sure. I mean, I think that I think Cashman has a really good idea of who some players are. And I think when they traded for 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 Clint Frazier, they knew who he was. They knew he wasn't the the um, the Aaron Judge, Derek Jeter type to be in the New York Yankees, wear the pinstripes and, and walk the company line and do all these things. They knew he was a little different. They knew he was a a, a good talent uh, that that maybe there were going to be some 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 little uh, deviations from the, the pinstripe path that everybody else takes. So I think having open communication and talking to him, um, I think that's one of the reasons why Reggie Jackson early on, you know, reached out and, and kind of took him under his wing and was was talking to him like you have one of those legends come in and and, and build that bond. Uh, that's important. So the the talking back and forth, I think it's good. I think it says a lot about Cashman how he takes a uh, you know a true uh, he he's all in on 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 some of these guys in the approach. Like he's he he will get his hands dirty and talk to players about what's going on. Like he, the communication line are, are are open. I think that's really important for a GM, especially surrounding the trade deadline with a player that you know has some immaturities. I think and uh, you know I think that communication and making sure that they understand each other is very important. Because his mind can run with things. If you had to put a percent... Toxoplasmosis is a, is a, is a severe... Oh, by the way, someone we were, we were talking to a, a couple people at the bar that were toxoplasmosis. Unfortunately, they, they had it. They it, was, it, was, had it, it was... Yeah, you know, we were looking at swollen joints and looking uh, all sorts of different symptoms. And, uh, Do they have cats? Yeah, unfortunately. Lots of cats. Do they sleep with them? Told them the cats are farting on their pillows. Need to get need to get rid of the cats. Number one step, get rid of the cats. Get a dog. So that'll that'll put you on the right path. If you had to put a percent on Frazier gets traded or not traded, I think it's 50-50. I, I I think they still like the player. I really do. Uh, but at the same time, if if a deal comes up and Frazier's the guy that that gives them a, a pitcher that's going to make a significant difference in this year. And probably one more year. I still think there needs to be some element of control with that pitcher to give up a guy like Frazier. I think they would still pull the trigger. You think they? You think they want to trade Frazier uh, in a in like a Stroman deal where you're going to have to face him multiple times a season? I don't think that matters as much. You don't think so? To Cashman, I don't think it matters as much. I think they're trying to get. I don't think they're worried about that because they know how good their team is right now. And if a guy is going to hit, you know, uh, against them on Toronto, like. Add it to the list. There's a couple guys over there. They'll probably hit, but I don't think that matters at all. I think they they're he's very squarely focused on 2019, winning a World Series, and the fact that Clint Frazier would be on the Toronto Blue Jays hitting doesn't affect that at all. So uh, another thing that Coley talked to him about was the 72 hours he took to report to Scranton after his demotion. Frazier said, I took it because, one, I have two animals, cats, cats. in a full apartment. <laughs> I needed a day, and then, uh, and then one day turned into, I'm going to take another day. And then it was like, I'm not in my best frame of mind right now. I was mad. I was upset. I was bitter. It was one of those things where I needed to be able to come down here and be ready to work. I would have shown up day one and probably would have been a, nu- a nuisance to be around. I would, have, I would have been upset. I was still mourning my demotion. I wasn't trying to send a message to Cashman. I, and I believe that actually, because I, I don't think. What do you do if, if he's trying to send a message? Is doing it in the wrong way, and I think he's smart enough to understand that part of it. But 
I think this actually shows maybe this shows a little maybe this shows a little bit more of a glimpse into the mind of Clint Frazier. He didn't talk to the media after he messed up. Why? Because he knew he would probably say something stupid and he was mad. And rather than trying to control those emotions while people are pecking you with questions, he decided that it was best for him to take himself out of that situation. Okay, maybe that's better for him. Like maybe that internally, like you thought that that was the best decision. Okay, I, to me that maybe that the fact that he's talking about, see, look, this is all good. Communication is nice. Now we understand why you do things. And I feel like things are a little bit more clear. Just the fact that we don't, and that's part, unfortunately it was talking to the media was the reason we didn't understand it and kind of snowballed. But when you're, when you're put it in context and when you say things like this, okay, you're a young guy, hothead, mad because you're passionate. You want to be up there. Like, I think they're all intentions are good because you want to compete. You want to be on the Yankees. So you're mad about it. I get that. I kind of like that. That's fire. That's passion. And you know so, what? He had to take himself out because he knows himself. He knows that, that he would have been bad. <clears throat> There's two ways to look at this. The fact that he's self-aware and yeah. that's a good thing. That is a good thing. Or is that immaturity? Well, I think he's self-aware that there's an immaturity. <laughs> okay, so it's both. Yeah. But, uh, but, any- but acknowledgement and identifying what that is and seeing how if you can identify and you know yourself well enough that you're probably going to say something dumb or do something dumb or just look the wrong way and taking yourself out of that, maybe that was the mature thing to do for him because maybe it could have been ten, tenfold worse. Who knows? Yeah. Do you have any more thoughts on the Hall of Fame? So Mariano kicked off his with, I don't understand why I always have to be last. And that kind of got a big, big chuckle from the crowd. Messina, there was a quote in here. I did not see Messina's speech. Uh, but I heard it. I listened right. to it. All right. So apparently he said, maybe I was saving up from all of their, those almost achievements for one last push. And this time I made it. So almost achievements being almost winning Cy Young's, almost winning championships, etc. So I kind of took that a different way. I thought that was a weird quote in all honesty. And I know a lot of Mucina fans were like, oh, yeah. Oh, man. Like Frank was like tearing up, like listening to that. Tighten it up, Frank. But the uh, he's like, well, I was uh, I made one last push. Well, you, you, you didn't like every, everything else did like your, your numbers did like they spoke. They, they, they you didn't make that push like your numbers just that were almost there, like made that a little bit harder to get you in, but made, so I didn't really understand that quote, honestly. Like, there was no effort after your numbers were done, you know, whether it's lobbying or what. So, your lobbying efforts were good. It was just a weird quote for me. I, I, I took it the wrong. And he's very dry when he talks, and, and that's, that's been known. Like, he's been, I think, a hard interview for some guys um, just because he's very dry and very, very uh, matter of fact in the way he does things. And that's just the way he's always been. Uh, it's just his personality. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. That was a weird quote for me. So, uh, Arod posted a video on his Instagram of talking about all the Hall of Famers and the the one about Messina. He talked about how when he first came over to the Yankees, he was very intimidated by Messina because I guess Messina had dominated him uh, just head-to-head matchups and Messina was was not talkative. He's quiet, yeah. He's very matter-of-fact. Went to Stanford. Yeah, stayed to himself, had this reputation of being very smart. He is very smart. And then one day, just sort of out of the blue, he started talking to A-Rod about his struggles at the plate and like, what he's seeing A-Rod do and not do. And apparently, like, it helped A-Rod get out of a slump. Like, he had some really good points. And then he's like, and it blossomed into this beautiful friendship, and we would go out to dinners, and we would talk about investments <laughs> and, and family and all this stuff and how he loves Mike Messina after he finally came over and just, like, helped him out with his swing. 
So here's how I interpret this. A-Rod, while on the Yankees, was intimidated by Mike Bustina. Like, that's weird. Because he literally just came off of like an MVP season, right? So you're, 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 okay. A-Rod's so not Mucino, the most strong, like, strong mental. Not the most like, strong this guy's, mental this guy's literally too much of a bitch to come over and talk to me. <laughs> so I'm just going to go over and talk to him. Like, <laughs> clearly, I have information for him. He's too scared to talk to me. So I got to go make this move. Uh, he was probably worried about being judged because maybe, maybe Moose knew something, you know? Maybe Moose knew something about, you know, some things. He's a smart guy, picks up on things. You know, a lot, a lot of perception. He's got eyes on everyone. <clears throat> got well, eyes apparently, on the way he did it, A-Rod was taking fielding practice at third base, and Messina just slowly walked from center field and just stood behind A-Rod, like 10 <laughs> feet behind him. Made him make like, him all with nervous. His, with his arms folded until A-Rod was like, what the hell are you doing? And he goes, I need to talk to you. <laughs> That's great. There's some other ones too. Uh, Arod was talking about the. Um, Arod's been all over the place talking about Alice. He loves this stuff. Oh, good yeah. for him. You know, whatever. As much as I, I'm not a big Arod guy. It's he's he's at this point harmless. The um, but his stories to me are embellished. Although I was wrong about one of them. Um, uh, the the story about uh, Mo, where where the worst place to be was in the in the clubhouse during a game because yeah. apparently Rivera would, would sit in there and watch the video and kind of like prepare mentally to go out into the bullpen when he was ready. So if like you have to go take, you have to go take a dump or you got to go to the bathroom or whatever and you're going and then all of a sudden, oh shit, Mo's there and he catches you and apparently he would just like go after it. Like, what are you doing? Like calling him out. Like the ball is too low. Why are you swinging at these pitches? Blah, blah, blah. Um, but he said that was like one of, it was like the firing range if you walked back in there because Rivera would get on you. And he was one of those guys that would, that would uh, expect you know, excellence from everybody and really push the envelope. And I love that. I love hearing that. Uh, some of the things that Mo was saying was, was really cool. The fact, that he, the fact that he had an open tryout to go on the Yankees in, the, in Panama, I think he was 20 years old. Like, think about that. Think about that age now. If you're 20 and you're, they don't know who you are, like, you're not going to play baseball now. Right, like you're probably not going to play baseball if you're if you're 20 years old because there's eyes everywhere now. But the yeah. fact that he walked on, uh, you know, to this, he was uh, went for an open tryout, had a hole but, hole in his cleats, hole in his used, cleats, didn't using, have a glove, like, barely had like yeah, equipment, and yeah. Um, I mean, basically, he said the reason they they signed me is because I could throw, I couldn't pitch, I could throw. Right, exactly. So they saw an arm, and and the fact that the the, the cutter, I mean, there's there's. Yeah, everybody knows her story. story is legendary where it's just yeah, like just he kind of figured it out by accident in the yeah. bullpen. And, and they tried to fix it. They tried to a fix struggling, it. A struggling starting pitcher who they're like, hey, we don't want you to have that cut on your fastball. <laughs> and then yeah. they realized it was unhittable. That's, almost that's, traded, almost taken in the Rule 5 draft, almost traded a number of different scenarios with Rivera that if, if one of those went in a different way, he's not 100% you know, 100% voted into the Hall of Fame. Yeah, had to earn his job like a couple times. Like this guy was, he was no shoeing. And the fact that he came in and was this Mr. Consistent for the pretty much the day he took that job um, as the closer and really even into the eighth inning guy because he was going one, two innings uh, occasionally. Well, even his, his best closer job. Many people say his best season was 1996 when he was setting up for Wetland yeah. because he would routinely go two innings. Yep. And he, I mean, it was the best season when you look at, um, like total, uh, I think like total war accrued and all that kind of stuff because he pitched more. Right. Um, he was extremely dominant, extremely valuable as a weapon um, in the bullpen. Um, and of course, because it's, it's 2019 and it's the internet, uh, there was this like takedown article of Rivera going around, going around Twitter yesterday morning for his politics and his very strict religious beliefs. 
Oh, I didn't see that. I ignore that shit. I started to read it just because I was like, what is this asshole? It, it, it was on the, the the Daily Beast. I'm sure people saw it. But I was just like, what, like, what can you say bad about Rivera? And they're talking about his politics and how his like his stance. I'm not going to get too political. Stance on Israel and his, his dealings with Trump and all that stuff. And it's like, okay, that's enough to warrant a takedown article on the guy on the Hall of Fame morning. It's just like, I hate that the internet just tries to different cancel people you know that term cancel culture trying to cancel people it's like can you just shut the hell up Mm -hmm. for a second and let the guy get inducted into the hall of fame please please can we do that can we not be assholes for 24 hours no you gotta get clicks people gotta get clicks either way whatever the um the it was it was a it was good i thought the speeches were were good it was i think edgar martinez is extremely extremely uh you know, one of the best hitters I've ever seen. When I was younger, I, I used to marvel at the way that he could hit. Uh, and everybody pretty much has talked about that. And so now that there's, it, it, it kind of opened the door, I think, for Harold Baines, too, because of the DH spot. Like, that was one of the big reasons why this was the year that they got Harold Baines in. Um, and it also will set a precedent for Ortiz. Well, probably. I mean, the fact, Edgar Martinez opened up doors right there. I mean, he, the fact that he's in now and he was basically a full-time uh, DH for the majority of his career opens a lot of doors for for people saying like this is now a position in the Hall of Fame. He deserves to be in. He absolutely deserves to be in. He was one of the best hitters of his era. There's no doubt about it. So anybody who says different wasn't watching. Three hundred or three hundred weird bias against DH. Three hundred, four hundred, five hundred career slash line. Yeah, no, like he was ridiculous. He was, he was he was awesome. Yankees are heading to Minnesota and then Boston seven game road trip. So interesting about Minnesota, they got off to an amazing start. They've been kind of iffy since the beginning of June, 15 and 12 in June, 6 and 8 in July, and they're 4 and 6 in the last 10 games. Yankees didn't face Barrios the last time they played Minnesota. They're not going to face Barrios again this, this series. Going to be facing Perez, Gibson, and Odorizzi. So still not facing Minnesota's best. That's the, you know, the best case for Minnesota of that they're legit is that in a playoff series, they can throw Barrios twice at you and he can shut you down, and they can hit some home runs. We're not going to see Pineda. Is Pineda still alive? Is he pitching over there? Not. Oh, yeah. He's still cranking along. He's Five ERA. <laughs> I think he lowered his ERA to like 4.6. Oh, good for him. Good for him. They're not seeing as many inflatable arms and, uh, flying in the wind. Uh, Yankees pitching uh, announcements are CC, Herman, and Hap. Something we didn't talk about quickly. Her, yeah. Hap, we didn't really talk about Hap much, yeah. but I just want to touch on him. He, I think he came out and, 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 and pitched well on uh, was that Friday night. Pitched well on Friday night and, and got through... You know what he needed to struggled do. Struggled in the first inning, kind of got out of a, a first and third jam, minimized damage, and I mean he, it, he. I put his line in here. Let me find it. So five innings, um, five innings, eight hits, two runs, eight strikeouts. Yeah. So I mean, look, he he got into he got deeper into the game. Was was was. Uh, I think when you when you see what Deeper. Hap has done it's five innings compared to some starts that he doesn't make five innings, it was okay. it was a but that look I, I think that like we need to see progression from him and I think that that's a, a good start and I like it so uh, I'm happy with it's the way an he, acceptable start from James Pax from uh, not James Pax from from J Hap, it's not acceptable for like Tanaka or Pax and that's what I have been saying if if Sabathia and Hap are giving you five innings right. and keeping you in the game. Great. Those are your four and five starters. They need the top guys to do better. Be better, Paxton. Be better, Tanaka. Herman, you've been great. That's all I'm saying. The last thing, DJ LeMahieu, another home run Sunday. Uh, was that 14 now? Yeah, on pace on for, pace for 22, I think. 23. Watch okay. it. 23 home runs on pace yeah, for 23 well, I mean, it's, it's 
it's the smooth balls. It's DJ LeMahieu being an unbelievable pro. It's all you it ready, is. You ready to get ready to do a couple mailbags before we get out of here? Yeah. Before we do that, guys, just want to remind you to rate and review the podcast. It uh, very appreciative when you guys do it. I know a few more reviews came in over the weekend. Um, it really helps us out. It lets us know. Uh, it lets you guys. Uh, I can't talk. Scott, you say it. <laughs> Just rate and review the podcast. If you listen to us and you enjoy what you hear, uh, do us a favor. Go on iTunes and give us five stars. Give us a little bit of a blurb on why uh, you like the show. And again, it does help us out. Tell a friend. Tell them to subscribe. And we'll keep going. We'll keep talking on the microphone so you guys can listen. Some of us will talk in full sentences. Some of us won't. Yeah. Maybe you guys can comment on how I can talk perfectly fine when I'm talking about baseball and something that happened. But when I have to read something or, or, or talk about something. Your, no, talking about your balls, you were fine. Oh, yeah. You had no problem talking about your balls. All right. Setu Saha at Dat Dude Stew on Twitter. He has two questions. Number one, do you think Boone's savage comment dissuaded any voters for manager of the year? And number two, with the Yankees scouting all these starters, could it be subterfuge by having another team overpay for one because the Yankees are interested? Sounds like he used a thesaurus on this tweet. Or he's just got good control of the English language that we don't look I, I think no I don't think it affects in a negative way for yeah, any I, of the I didn't understand that why would that affect in a negative well, maybe way because old guys are like you know perumph you know you're saying the f word you're you're being condescending Aaron Boone's not going to win manager of the year not because of that it's because he manages the Yankees and it's next to impossible to win manager of the year oh, I, yeah the but not this year not this year that's out the window because of all the no, Rocco Baldelli will win manager of the year that's possible no, it's, it's 100% what's going to happen. The Minnesota unless, Twins unless, were not expected to be leading their division, unless, and they are. Unless, and, and what is probably a foregone conclusion, if I were to, be, uh, another, if I were to make another prediction, I would, I would predict that the Minnesota Twins will crumble like the Minnesota Twins. If so, they make the playoffs. In a wild card spot? No, I don't think that's manager of the year. If they win their division. That's, that puts you up there. Otherwise, it's Boone. What about Cash? I mean, Cash, I think... No, God no. Why God no? Because Aaron Boone is dominating him with injured players. Aaron Boone and the Yankees are supposed to win. Not with injured players. They, that's the difference. This year, they have pretty much the first half played with a, a, a very different roster. They did not play with the New York Yankees that anybody else was expecting. They played with a triple-A lineup, essentially, with pitching not going I, their way. Oh, injuries me, galore, I know. And I Boone know, but- steadied the ship. Writers, this is not, I'm not saying this is justified, but writers I, I think in the, these I think scenarios are biased against the Yankees. I get it. I get it normally. But I, don't, I think in this, in this season, there is a, maybe a very different this feel. Is, maybe this is the one-off year. Maybe. Yeah, I, I, I definitely But I don't, I don't think the Savage comment, if anything, that helps. Oh, no, it gave, them, it gave them something to write about that got yeah. a ton of clicks. They love it. So I don't know if he's saying because, like you said, some writers don't like that sort of uh, attitude. But yeah. no, I mean... I mean, they loved Lupinella for that kind of stuff. They loved like all these these old classic managers who would have these tirades like this. Yeah, like, I think um, it's a good thing. Jim Leland and like all these guys. Like, no, this this helps them. And it is a very good argument, honestly, about the whole robotic strike zone. The fact that these will go away. It's a great argument. Because I don't want you them mean to go away. In favor of not yeah, doing yeah. yeah. Like give me some bad calls just so that we can get things like this. Give me a I'll tolerate like a five percent error rate. Once you creep up above ten percent, no thanks. Like right. I'm done. Yeah. So number two, are the Yankees, uh, is the price, so the trade deadline is 10 days away. And right now, 
by all accounts, the price on these starting pitchers is astronomical. But there's a few. T- I mean, you got you got the uh, the Rangers and Mike Miner out there um, on the block. You got are the Giants going to trade Bumgarner? You got what are the Indians going to do? Arizona. Obviously, Stroman, the Mets with Wheeler and and possibly Syndergaard, Arizona with Robbie Ray. Wheeler, and Ar- Wheeler has shoulder issues currently. Who the hell is going after him? Okay, there's multiple pitchers out there who are going to be on the trade block, and there's a handful of teams going after these pitching. Right now, it's a very high price for these starting pitchers. No one wants to be the... So you got to... If you're team trading, you want to be first because that will probably get you the biggest haul because you set the market. If you're the team acquiring, you don't want to be first because you're going to be paying the most. You want to be second or third. You want to say... Okay, Baumgartner just got traded for XYZ. That's a way overpay. Here's what I'm offering you for Marcus Stroman. This is fair. Take it or leave it. And that means the Blue Jays just had a team come off the board because, say, the Twins acquired Madison Baumgartner or something like that. No, it's a big deal. I mean, I think we're going to see this thing play all the way out to the, to the very the final hour, the final minutes, um, because there is no... Um, August deadline any longer. Now we're seeing all of the action on on this deadline, which makes it exciting. I think the last few days are going to be are going to be fireworks. But um, I think a lot of these GMs now are just basically playing a big game of chicken. And, and who's going to blink first? Like, are you going to give me who I'm asking for because I'm asking for a lot, or are you going to stand pat and just wait me out and 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 basically call the bluff of other teams uh, that that you don't think are offering as much or have as much value uh, that, than what you're offering me. Uh, are going to blink first. So it's, it's whoever blinks first, but you're right. I think the first, the first whoever sets the market, I think we'll probably see things happen a lot faster after that. But that first domino to fall, unless there's a really aggressive offer, uh, you know, at some point and someone, and one of these jams is like, I'm not going to get a better offer than this. And they pull the trigger. I think we're going to see it go down to the final hours. We haven't really even talked about Mike Miner a lot. He's having a, a pretty good season for the Rangers. He's 31. He's a free agent after 2020. He's got a 2.7 uh, war, which is great, 2.86 ERA, which is great. But then you look at some of his other numbers, 4.09 FIP and 4.38 XFIP. And he's walking a lot of guys, so his K to walk ratio um, is not great. So what, uh, excuse me, his walk rate uh, per nine is not great, 3.1 walks per nine innings. What are your thoughts on Mike Miner? Is he a guy that is sort of like the next rung down where you're going to have to not pay as much and you'll accept I mean, he's an, he's a he's a guy that's gonna eat some innings. That's 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 why I look at. I, I see him as like a. He's not somebody to get excited about. There's no doubt. I, I mean, I'm not getting excited about him. He reminds me of like like in the beginning uh, when we were doing the offseason plan. Like one of the guys that I was circling as a guy like this was Kyle Gibson, who is having a pretty good season with Minnesota, but has always been like. Nothing to get excited about, but uh, you know, I started ramping ramping up a little bit more with his numbers. Uh, I think later in his career than than some would expect. So you're seeing more success. I think Miner's a similar guy. <laughs> Honestly, the funny thing is, is that the, the the guy on on Texas to look at is Lance Lynn. Lance Lynn's <laughs> going out there throwing 97, 98 miles an hour. Apparently, has figured out how to pitch. Has done yep. a lot of things. Is, is fully rebounded from Tommy John surgery. Like that's the guy. Uh, but they have him under what three years, thirty million or four years, forty million. It was a ten million dollar contract for however many years, three or four years. So. Uh, they're, you're thinking that maybe they are, if he has figured it out, that they have a guy that they like now under control for a while. So probably not going to be a guy that they're uh, going to trade at this point. Never know. Lance Lynn, was, Lance Lynn was in my offseason plans. Yeah, he was a, he's a guy that is good. I mean, he's, you know, I, I didn't mind him. Like, he's, he's just, he's not a needle mover by any means. But this year he looks like he might be. 
Maybe maybe he has figured it out. He's a big big country hoss. Uh, I got an email from Jeff, angry about Cashman. You'll love this one. Just read an article about Billy Bean. He may be overrated, but at least he's not Cashman, who enters every season with a great offense, a superb defense, an above-average pen, virtually unlimited resources, and still fails to secure anything above a mediocre starting rotation, and watches the Yankees fall to lesser teams with a better starting rotation. It has become predictable, and I am a, a lifelong Yankees fan. So I feel like there's always the justification at the end, there, and, I'm, uh, oh, yeah. and I love the Yankees. And so it's, it's like the sports radio callers. They have to sit first, I'm a their 50, resume. I'm a, I'm a 60-year fan. Yep. I've been listening to you for... Mike, I've been watching the Yankees since 1965. Yeah. Um, Clearly, I know what so I'm talking about. I went back and looked. Uh, I went back and looked at the Yankees' ranks in Major League Baseball for three things as far as starting pitching goes. War, ERA, and K-to-walk ratio. And the reason I picked these, these three stats, obviously, war is like an, uh, uh, an amalgamation. Is that a word? Well, what's the word I'm looking for? I don't know. Total of everything. How much value is the starting rotation bringing the team? ERA, very classic. Lower ERA, the better. And K-to-walk ratio, which is a measure of effectiveness. Um, are you striking out? What's your walk rate? What's your strikeout rate, et cetera? So Yankees rank. 2019, 13th in war, middle of the pack. 11th in ERA, middle of the pack. Sixth in K to walk ratio. That's good. Quickly, I'm going to run down uh, for war in 2018, fourth, 2017, fifth, 2016, 13th, 2015, 12th. There's a trend here. Stay with me. 2018 for ERA, 14th. 2017, fifth. 2016, 19th. 2015, 19th. And then K to walk ratio, seventh. Fourth, seventh, seventh. All, all around three. Yep. Do you see a trend with any of these? Just, just say it because I'm not even trying to guess with all these numbers you just threw out. <laughs> they're... Because they're, they're, nobody else sees the trend either. It, they're the same pitching staff every year. Yeah, that's pretty much it. So for the last five years, they've been the same pitching staff. They are around three in K-to-walk ratio, which ranks around the top seventh in Major League <clears throat> Baseball. For ERA... They're going to be middle of the pack. The one outlier is 2017 when they had an under four ERA and they were fifth. Otherwise, they're mid-teens. And then for war, they are, uh, for the most part, there's discrepancies in there. Middle of the pack, 2017, 2018, they were, they were higher. They were fifth and fourth. But this year, they're back to middle of the pack. It's a very consistently okay starting rotation. I mean, look, Cashman's definitely been better at, at securing offense and, and making those uh, and a lot bullpen. of these these gems bullpen. Uh, He's his best area is the bullpen, in my opinion. Uh, I think he, I think he scouts position players very well. I mean, you look at what, with with Didi and Voight, Fine. and but think are about we, are even, we throwing Talkman in there because it's he's, think he's about approaching those, that. Think about those shitty years Urshela. in like thirteen and fourteen, and they somehow didn't really miss a beat when Mariano Rivera retired. They're like. Oh, Mariano Rivera is going to miss a season. They had Rafael Soriano. Mariano Rivera retires. Oh, we can go to David Robertson. And then we acquire the big three, Miller, Batances, Chapman. And now the bullpen for the last two years has been like the, the best, most effective base, uh, bullpen in baseball. So, so, so there's a I couple think, ways you could look at that then. You could look at the fact that Brian Cashman identified as the value in the bullpen, and that's the way that they were going to build the team out. And, and maybe not spend as much in starting pitching because you have to, one, spend a lot of money on starting pitching, and there's a lot of discrepancy in what you get in return uh, for paying a lot of money. I mean, just, it's, not a, it's not a guarantee when you pay a, a, a boat ton of money and give them a lot of years 
uh, for the return over the over that span. Uh, CC has been definitely one of those contracts that has worked out really, really well. But you can point at a number of them that have not worked out, and you could probably do that across the league. They're just, oh, he definitely sees the value. He sees more value in acquiring bullpen. Um, right. It's less money, and it's less risk. It's also shorter contracts, right. more it's flexibility. And if one guy falters, <laughs> you got other guys. Right. So that I mean I think I think the other thing when you're looking at what the problem also it's not just Cashman with starting pitching it's the organization the organization has not done a good job as a, as a whole with the with uh, starting pitching I mean look what happened with the killer bees one of them's in the bullpen the, uh, one of them is out of baseball uh, and and uh, Manny Benuelos by some miracle of God is still sure. pitching in the major leagues trying to get out there and be effective after you know multiple surgeries and just been battling. I don't know. Like they haven't. Phil Hughes is not in the league. Uh, like he's a guy that that was not what we thought. Jabba he was Chamberlain, like one of the more successful as far as starting pitcher goes. But he was in the bullpen went. for a little while too. It was effective there. And then they put him. They went back and forth. Jabba. They screwed up. You know, there's a lot of these guys that were supposed to be that next echelon, the next uh, group of starting pitchers, starting with like Brian Taylor. You know, like that started the bad trend. Like they have not done a good job developing their pitching staff. So whether that's on Cashman and, and, and the player development, it, you know, partially I think it is on Cashman because he's putting those guys in, in the position to develop these players. But I think as an organization in whole, they've just not done a good job. So therefore, Cashman has to go out there and try to find, you know, these free agents and, and spend a ton of money on, on what. And and has obviously Sonny Gray not didn't land like Burnett, you know had 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 some flashes in two thousand nine that that made it. I mean he identified Pineda as a as a, Pineda a young was, pitcher to trade for to trade their number one prospect at the time for Pineda yeah. didn't work out. Right. They just traded prospects for James Paxton, another guy who had team control, kind of like another Sonny Gray. A lot of potential, a lot of potential to be a number one pitcher with team control. Beautiful. Let's trade for him. So far. He's been better than Sonny Gray has, but he hasn't been, I don't think, up to expectations. I have a Dude. hard time faulting faulting him for making some of those deals, though, too. Not Be- faulting him for making those deals, but there's still, if it doesn't work out, you have to criticize. If he identified Sonny Gray, and he identified Michael Pineda, he identified um, I mean, James Pine- Paxton. Pineda was like a throw-in for a throw-in. It was like, I'll take your disappointment if you take my disappointment. And Pineda, Pineda was, was not a disappointment. Pineda was he less had a of really one. good season with Minnesota. I mean, with um, Seattle. Seattle before the Yankees acquired him. Yes. That looked like a beautiful trade on the surface of it, it to did. start. You're getting a number one pitcher for uh, a guy who everyone says is a DH. Maybe. No, that was at the time. It was like Montero's not going to be a catcher. Best case scenario for him, he turns into a really good DH. Obviously, that didn't work out. Right. So, But what I'm saying is... Even if you say, I understand the move and it made sense, you can still criticize him when the, uh, the guy they identify doesn't pan out. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's, it's totally fair. It's totally fair. I think a lot of the reasons he's got to make moves like that, though, is because they had no organizational depth in starting pitching. So some of these guys that he's going to go out there, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a matter of... And, and there are missed opportunities, too. I mean, I think... If you're going to criticize him for the, the pitchers that he brought on, you could criticize for the missed opportunities and the fact that he wouldn't give up players um, for, for certain starting pitching or you know making uh, uh, the uh, uh, spending a little bit more money and getting a guy in return. Well, there's been a money thing with Verlander acquisition, with the Corbin contract, and mm-hmm. with the Keuchel contract. The Keuchel contract is weird. Yes, and... Um, the, so there's multiple deals that I think could have happened that a lot of fans think should have happened. 
that didn't happen. And, and that's, you can definitely go with the criticism there as well if you want. All right, that's going to do it for this episode. Big week ahead. Big uh, week against potential playoff teams. Obviously, playoff, uh, maybe future playoff matchups with Minnesota. Are the Red Sox going to get back into this division race? I'm excited for this week. Any last words, Scott? Yeah, one, uh, one guy I was trying to think of was Garrett Cole. Another one that I think yes. people thought they and should Duhar have. And was the guy. Pulled, that, yeah, pulled the trigger, and, and they didn't do it. And we saw you know Garrett Cole come over to a, a competitor and, and have a lot of success. So... Um, any last words? The BP crew event, like it was just, uh, again, it was really hot. I appreciate everybody braving the elements and coming out there. Um, a, a lot of familiar faces, a lot of uh, new faces, really fun. The dugout was back in action. We're looking at some other things for the last one. I'm excited for the last one as well. Uh, it is August, August 31st. August 31st against Oakland. You're looking at a potential, um, a potential playoff team in Oakland who is, uh, you know, had a late push last year as well and played well. You expect a good game there. It's going to be the last one. I feel like it's going to be a celebration, hopefully, uh, for the way the regular season's going. But it's going to be a lot of fun. And again, everybody who came out, thank you very much. Uh, it was a ton of fun, like they all are. They're just, you know, we just keep going, keep pushing forward, and keep uh, keep growing this thing. And uh, it gets better and better. So, um, yeah, that's that's it for me. Yeah, and if you guys uh, weren't at the event, um, you know, congratulations on sitting in air conditioning. But uh, go look at Twitter. A lot of people were, were posting pictures and stuff. The shirts, we had a big group picture of all the shirts. That was awesome. I, I got a little revenge on JJ with the posters of him, uh, the stadium eat screenshots. So we tweeted out pictures of that. A um, lot of other fun stuff from the day. Go check it out. Like Scott said, appreciate everyone who came out. Um, you could, I'm sure there was a lot of people who bought tickets just in general to that game. Although we're in Yankee Stadium and we're like, you know what? I'm not doing it. We showed up in full force. So we definitely love to see that. Absolutely. That's, uh, that's going to do it for this episode. And we will talk to you Thursday. Hey, guys. Thanks for listening to the Bronx Pinstripe Show. Make sure you find us on iTunes and subscribe so you can get all new episodes directly onto your phone. If you do like the show, we'd love for you to take a minute and give us a five-star rating and review on iTunes. It really helps us out and allows us to create more shows. We're on Twitter at Bronx Pinstripes and the same on Facebook. You can always find us there talking Yankee baseball. Thanks again, guys, for your support. Really appreciate it. And go Yankees. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945.